0: We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Keto Naturopath. I'm Dr. Carl Goldkamp. So today I wanna to tell you about, I wanna talk about you know, why a protein sparing modified fast really changes people's health dramatically. And um, in part, you think, well, why is that a simple answer? Is it a simple answer? Because it's a combination of what they're not doing, right? So if you think of anybody who's um, been environmentally exposed or we'll just use the general kind of undifferentiated term of toxins, whatever that may be, well, if they stop doing that, don't you think they'll get better? Whatever their condition is, whether it's a skin rash or it's complete inflammation throughout the body or something else, if you stop doing the bad thing, that's half of it. And so, um, you know, in naturopathic medicine, there's seven sort of laws, if you will, and supposedly they all came from the Hippocratic Oath. And if anybody who's in medicine, you realize there's like a 117 different versions of the Hippocratic Oath. But if you go back and Hippocrates, his actual documents and sort of extract your rules from that, uh, one of them is, they're all profound, in my view, and they're all kind of obvious. One was remove the obstacle to cure, or you could say remove the obstacle to health. So what would that object be? Well, I can tell you looking back in terms of actual reality, in terms of people that I worked with, often it was this is back in the early days of late 1990s, early days for me, late 1990s and early 2000, it was often removing something from their diet and then bringing it back in. And so they got to sort of see how they felt better without it and then how they felt worse with it. So in the course of that, it gets a little more, uh, I'll say, sophisticated, a little more detailed, a little more differentiated because- uh, you can say, well, people eat a lot, but you, you can start with a kind of a common sense approach. What are the major um, problems, allergens that people have in terms of foods? And they're pretty straightforward. It is dairy, primarily it's casein, but it's dairy. And it's then wheat, primarily it's gluten, which is more than just wheat. But uh, we've talked about gluten before, how that's now hyperglutenized because over the last thousand years, certainly over the last 100 years, the hybridization has yielded a higher concentration of gluten per that plant, you know, per that grain. So it's become more of an issue because it's been so concentrated, but you can go down the list. What else? You have soy, you have corn, you have, and you could say, well, corn, what kind of corn was that a problem? You know, is it the pesticides that are on the corn? You know, obviously that's a Hybridized plant as well. We've talked about the history of corn from Central Mexico, Central uh, um, <clears throat> Central South America, um, and we, in you know, how it was brought to Europe, and how for 400 years people suffered from pellagra because they didn't actually cook the. Corn correctly. Can you imagine that? So big gift from Columbus. He brought back the potato, and he brought back um, the uh, t- corn, and, and a number, and the tomato, and he can go on from there. So he brought back a lot of things. So from Central America, we get corn, and oops, they forgot how to cook it like they were doing it there, and they had a problem. But apart from that just in sitting down with somebody, when you have them remove corn, that's often a pretty high allergenic food. And so you look at, look at all the things that come from corn. You have the high fructose corn syrup, you have the various flowers, you have the various oils, often called vegetable oils. So they're all a problem. I mean, they're all a big problem actually. So just on that one thing. So when we think of corn, we're not thinking of somebody sitting down at the summer family picnic and getting their corn in the cob and putting the butter and salt on it and having a great time with the rest of the family. No, that's probably the least uh, offensive form of corn, actually. Uh, the most offensive is the hyper concentrations of the high fructose corn syrup and the oils. And of course, you get the alcohol. It's a whole different thing. It doesn't affect us so much. More about how it runs on your car. Okay, so there's a uh, soy is is equally that that way, but most between soy and corn, you have now that's uh, a total of ninety percent of all pesticides that were used between those crops. And I suggest you go back and listen to the other podcasts I did on that. So that is part of the contaminants. And so in other words, when you go to get a corn product, um, corn flakes, if they do come from corn nowadays, which I do believe they do. Cornflakes, it's not like you can get an organic brand, brand of cornflakes. And so, what is put on the corn, both in terms of GMO now and both in terms of pesticides as well, is what you're going to be eating. So, that is a problem. So, if you were to eat somebody's organic corn, as I just mentioned, that would be less of an issue, you know, especially if you had corn on the cob. And soy, nobody just eats soy. Uh, they eat the derivative products, which are the tofu and the miso and the, and there again, the soy oil, which is considered vegetable oil, it's predominant vegetable oil, that and corn oil. Okay. All that stuff. So that's, we're removing the obstacle, op, obstacle to cure. That's just an example of list that I used to usually go down. People would come in, you'd have to see their diet. They were required to give me a seven day diet diary. Of the previous seven days to visiting me, so I'd say, "Well, you eat a lot of whatever it is," and we remove that. The obvious ones that you could pull away are certainly all dairy products, and then you explain about the all dairy products, and then you explain about wheat, and then you say, "This is what we're going to do for two months," and they go, "I can't believe what else is there to eat." You know, it's everybody starts there. No matter what you take away, they're going to go, oh, well, "What else is there to eat?" So now. We're at the doorstep of the protein-sparing modified fast. And we've taken away a lot. Relative to that context that I just spoke about, we've taken away a lot. We've taken away all the plants. Huh. Taken away all the plants. Taken away the dairy and the wheat and so on and so, on, so forth. We've minimized pesticide exposure through food. We have, uh, what else have we done? Well, will leave it at that. So this long list of things we've pulled away. And so now they're having protein, which is meat, it's poultry, and it's fish. And so you counsel them on what are the better fish to get and, you know, leave the big fish away and try to do if they could, let's pretend if they could be doing Alaskan salmon, you know, once a week, that'd be great. I mean, they could do it every night if they could afford it. Usually that's the issue that comes up. I can't afford it. It's too expensive, blah, blah, blah. Well, it is. And that's the way it is. Good foods become more expensive. Cheap food is polluted and causes a lot of problems. Which one do you want to choose? Where, where, What value do you put on your health? Um, and, and cuts of meat are that way. They don't all have to be grass-fed. You know, um, you can just migrate over to, you know, a good cut of meat. And then if you want to, you can be a little more refined in your choices. And I'm not necessarily encouraging you there. Just don't get the... Garbage, just don't get the factory-made. And so, how would you know? Uh, You look around. Some are antibiotic-free. I think that's a good place to start. Um, And you go, well, how can certain cattle be without antibiotics? Antibiotics are required in case they don't, you know, in case they get sick, and so on and so forth. Um, To an extent, but there's a question of a, a lot of antibiotics or or none at all because they come from a different herd and they're more spread out and so on and so forth. So if you make that choice, the first, the reason, one of the reasons, which is the point of this particular podcast, is when somebody goes on a protein sparing modified fast, and I've put out plenty of information about this, go over to YouTube and there'll be a link in this podcast about that, as there always is with our other links, is that it's a dramatic difference. Absolutely. It's a dramatic difference, even regardless of the quality of meat that they have, right? So let's just put that as a big question mark. All the crap that they're not having now is dramatic. And so now their body gets a chance to process all that crap. All those toxins that have been bioaccumulated over the decades. All the potentially heavy metals. They're not going to be able to process that so much. You need you need to help them on that one. Um, and and if they removed all the plastic coverings that they got their salads in, that, was, that would be a big deal. So the phthalates would be removed. And if you counsel them again, plastic bottles, that would be a good thing as well. So think of all the stuff they're not having. That accounts for a lot of rejuvenation or a lot of the ability of your body to come back just to simply have decent health. So we're not even being that sophisticated in this particular explanation by saying, oh, wait a minute, you know, it now frees up the mitochondria and the electron transport. Now it doesn't, isn't you know, encumbered by who cares? Really, who cares? You know, it is, you've stopped taking this garbage that affected you in 150 different ways, if not a thousand different ways and all negative, certainly the liver and so on and so forth, certainly the brain, but all organs were affected from the lymphocytes to your synovial fluids, to your, you know, musculoskeletal system, et cetera, et cetera. You remove that, they're going to go through a period of, of, of habit adjustment, you know, what do I do with the time I was preparing my salads and everything else and having all that fast food crap? Um, Well, that's going to be a change. And that is a behavioral change that's going to have to take place. But in terms of metabolically, their whole system has now gotten a chance. They're not being beat up on a regular basis. They can summons the resources to then start processing a lot of these negative metabolites that come out of the fat. They'll start losing fat as well. Okay, so from there, um, when you're on a protein-sparing modified fast, you are in a ketogenic diet. So you take your ketones and take your uh, glucose readings. You'll see your glucose readings will go up a little bit to maybe the mid-90s, maybe even the low 100s for a period, and then it will drop back down. And there's a reason for that and another podcast. It basically means that you know, pr- the protein is so, p- so perfect because it will trigger, a portion of it will trigger your liver to go into gluconeogenesis. So you need some glucose. You can't be without glucose. So it's impossible for you to find a diet unless you actually just had, um, if you were just on a fat diet, so there's nothing that you're eating and your body would, by stress alone, would still stimulate the liver to produce glucose. So there's no way you can't produce glucose. But the nice thing about protein, and, and it really dawned on me when I started investigating cats, frankly, how dependent that they were. And the idea of when they talk about an obligate carnivore, an obligate carnivore, which means no veggies at all. If you talk to the vet, they go, well, actually they do have some veggies because when they kill something, they eat the intestines of, how's that for a pretty picture, huh? Uh, And therefore they're getting secondary carbohydrates. So maybe a little bit, but you know... Um, You know, you can guess how big that is. It's not a scientific assertion, but there's a little bit of sense in that. But they can be 100% carnivore because they are, and they will get their blood sugar that they need for the red blood cells and some of their nervous system, just like us. We need some for our red blood cells and our nervous system. So if you had protein all the time, you're fine. A portion of that's going to help your liver and the... um, Making glucose, uh, gluconeogenesis. So there you go. And what is the, the nice thing about it? It really helps out with muscle protein synthesis, which we've also talked about before. And so we've talked about leucine, the whole leucine trigger hypothesis, really, that half the protein you should eat, it appears by the studies that are coming out in the last five and 10 years, that it should be leucine is the unique trigger to trigger the building of everything in your body, but primarily we'll talk about muscle mass, MPS, muscle protein synthesis. So you have all the amino acids we need as humans, which are eight or nine, depending on what you think about glutamine. And as long as you have 50% of what you have is leucine, which you can get through branched chain amino acids, about 70, 75% of BCAAs, are leucine so it's primarily leucine so you can have that you know with what are leucine what's loose what's the highest sources of leucine Ah, it's animal meat and poultry and fish all three of them absolutely they're very high who thought right so therefore those who are vegetarian really have a tough time in 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 not only with protein protein muscle synthesis and they can say well i want to be an autophagy well fine uh people who eat meat are not necessarily not in autophagy and they are in they are in muscle building phase and then they're in autophagy everybody is in both phases when you sleep you're in autophagy you can't avoid it so that's the that's the big deal so bringing it back to home why do people who do a protein sparing modified fast get so freaking healthy and you go well. It must be the kind of the quality of the meat they had. Well, I don't know. I I I think that that's part of it. But I think it's the simplicity of the diet. They kept themselves out of trouble. Would be the first thing. Kept themselves out of trouble. They stopped eating all that stuff, and they gave their body a chance to process what it could process, and improved a lot of situations. Okay, and then they had a varied sources of protein of the of the poultry of the meat of the fish. And and not just being stuck to one cut of meat, you know, move around the, the meat, move around and the chickens as well, uh, the poultry as well, and the fish as well. This is what, you know, you don't just see a dog that eats turkey drums or drumsticks. Um, you don't just see a cat that eats fish, a certain kind of fish. You know, it's, it's a big, varied diet, even within... The protein. Also, it's the organ meats are in there, as we've talked. So, egg yolks and liver are the most nutrient dense substances on earth in terms of what's digestible and usable by humans. So, the problem with when you compare it to vegetarian, they'll say, hey, well, kale is this, or they'll throw out various beets or beets are actually a good one for a good source of having so many different things. And I'm not saying they're bad. I'm saying, compared to what? You know, how much of that beet. When you eat, actually gets into you that it's a usable form. Well, one is the iron which is rich in beets is not as usable as the iron you get from meat or fish or chicken. So it's called a non-heme, as a non-hemoglobin, non-heme doesn't have that porphyrin ring, and so that's a big difference. So a lot of the comparisons, and I'm coming from a place in which that's how I was educated. Hey, your phytonutrients, you know, you don't get this. And so you name that plant by all the contents. But the part of the conversation that was always never crossed over was, okay, here's the plant. It's got all these goodies in it. How much of the plant, if I eat it, gets into me in a usable form by my body? Oh, not very much, huh? One or two percent? Gee, gosh. Oh, and then you go, how much of the plant has things that actually block the absorption of very phytonutrients, for one, or other minerals and vitamins? Oh, there's that, the phytates and the oxalates and et cetera. So that's the story that's not told. So when you now put somebody on a protein-sparing modified fast, they are not having any of that stuff. So all those things that blocked or absorbed various vitamins and minerals and kept you from absorbing that is no longer an issue. So suddenly the doors start opening up and I can speak from my own testimony. It's like, so how did my gut heal? And it wasn't due to medications. If anything, they did just the opposite. You know, how did it heal? I had no intention heading off to a keto carnivore protein sparing modified fast sort of existence. You know, that really wasn't in my consciousness at all. In fact, I was thinking... I would be thinking, isn't meat going to be hard on my gut that hardly works now? Well, the opposite was true. It was the veggies that had the oxalates and so on and so forth. Especially things like, oh, I didn't drink milk. I drank almond milk. Aren't I like pretty cool? No, I'm pretty cool stupid. You know, because I bought it all. Absolutely a problem. Then you can go on from there. But anyway, so you're removing the obstacles to cure. Bang. What else could you say? And from there forward, you can talk about what's inherent in the, the the protein source, the whole food protein source in terms of nutrition and the whole food sources of organ meats. And I'm saying primarily egg yolks. And uh, don't throw out the whites, by the way, use them for other things or have an egg. Anyway, so the egg yolks of the liver. Life is simple. That's all you need. And so really it comes down to this, the will to do it the will to be the the will or desire same thing i guess hey uh in terms of wanting to be healthier and change your life and the simplicity of what you eat others are going well uh, i'm on boring food i'm that's amazing i worked with this one guy and i went through showed him some labs he goes well I, I grew up christian i didn't too by the way i grew up christian and I, we don't believe in in biochemistry and labs i'm thinking well i don't think that's a christian thing i think that's just your Orientation, and and what else was that? And he didn't. And he thought that the uh, food choices choices were boring. I'd say that it really comes down to lack of culinary skills to know how to cook and put things together. That's a big deal. And the idea of having fun in the kitchen and you're cooking something really interesting tonight. Oh gosh, what are we gonna have? For instance, tonight we're gonna be having some lamb. And for instance, in our refrigerator now, we have chicken breasts that are marinating for tomorrow night to be grilled, both to be grilled. That's pretty delicious, fun thing to look forward to. And, you know, it's such a delicious, gustatory entertainment to have this, you know, just like meals were, just like meals were always, dinner time, you came back and you really liked what you ate. And you can go with that concept, with that visualization in your mind, you can go back for a millennia, two millennia, probably 30,000 years. Supposedly man evolved 200,000 years ago. So anywhere in that swath of time, you know, when they came together, they really appreciated what they ate. I'm there now. I like that. I, I like what I eat. I'm When I'm not hungry, I'm not hungry. So there's a simplicity of lifestyle that people, I think, are in part afraid to enter into. You can go into now even lesser excuses for not being willing to make a change. And I'm not saying everybody should. That's where labs come in, right? You look at them hormonally, this big metabolic panel that I do, and genomically. So you look at each person's difference and you address those, but more or less, they are moving in the same direction. You're f- filling in the potholes of their own individual deficiencies so they can move forward on a more general direction in which we are all moving forward with um and that's pretty much the secret of of why this works other than that you know it's it's a minimal of planning so they now have more time so there is all those adjustments but to answer the question why do people get so healthy on a protein sparing modified fast so you can say well it's because they dropped the weight well that's a visual change for sure and that means everything that was contained within that fat was metabolized was, you know, in a there's a lot of contaminants in the fat. That's where most, most pollutants end up going uh, is in the fat soluble. They're little bubbles of storage, if you will. And so that's process. And so in that shifting over, they may not feel great, by the way. There is a thing of considering kind of a, a thing of Herxheimer's reaction of a sort in terms of you now are going to be releasing a lot of toxins you've accumulated over time. And so that period of transition of your first few weeks, if not the first month or two, is this is what you're doing. You're processing all that and it's not necessarily comfortable. So when people say, if they're expecting some sort of incredible change in their life and everything got better, everything will get better, but you let go of where you've been, you process the garbage you've collected along the way, and then... It starts to now just like, wow, can you believe it? You sleep at night. What a concept. You go to bed tired, you sleep, and you wake up done. That's a big deal for a lot of people. Regardless of whether they say they're a night owl or not, you get the garbage out and et cetera, et cetera. What we've been talking about, it makes for a big change. You also, what what has really surprised me probably in the last, oh, when did we start working with people on this? Uh, Let's say four years ago. Which the amount of iron deficiency primarily in women, um, forty years older, so not not always perimenopausal. So it, you can sort of obviously if they're still cycling, well, you know there there's that that always has been obvious. But the amount as they got older, it wasn't younger women; it was older women, and certainly postmenopausal women that were iron deficient in part. Their appetite had gone down as it go, goes down for everybody. And they've already were a lifetime of under eating the required amount of protein. And so what did we expect to sort of show up? If iron is, if meat, now I'm speaking red meat. So if red meat and liver is the best sources for iron, and they're not doing this, what do we expect to see by the time they get into their 40s and their 50s and 60s and 70s, etc.? We expect to see iron deficiency. And sure enough, it's there. So now you're trying to tell them, you know, we can address this pretty easily. We'll, we'll supplement you to get your iron levels back up and maybe a basic multi to get you back up to functioning. Maybe something a little more specialized on mitochondrial support. But beyond that, it's like, do we ever have a simple plan for you? here you go. This is where you're going to get most of your nutrients. We evolved along the maritime shore. So therefore the fish and the essential oils, the omega-3s. No, you're not going to be using those industrial oils of corn and soy and canola and safflower and sunflower and name it peanut and whatever. We're not doing that. And so you take these things away. It's like, wow, life just changed. And they start feeling 20 years younger or more. And driving the weight. So that's not a surprise. Somebody is somebody going to say, well, it's because we stopped the oil? I really don't care if it's the oils or if it's the carbohydrates or it's the pesticides that were bioaccumulated over all these decades. It really doesn't matter. They're all injurious components of their former diet that have been pretty obvious and pretty much spelled out now. So doing processed food, which is all of those things, those industrial oils, those processed refined carbohydrates um it it's just it's just common sense and so now turning the telescope around to look through the other end to go wow wasn't this sort of a an obvious thing to realize now that we're here so when we started keto and then sort of went to keto you know getting that down thinking this is our insight i think mostly the benefits were yes producing ketones and so on and you know, listen to those earlier interviews I did. That was a big deal because that is an anti inflammatory and it is a butyrate is a preferred fuel for the large intestine. So clearly it helped those things, but it was removing the injurious things to my gut that really improved it. You know, so I wasn't doing the veggies and everything else. Um, So that was the one point I wanted to get across. So if somebody says, so are you saying that if I take a vegetable protein powder, because I want to be a vegetarian or a vegan, and a protein powder, and I get the leucine, I mean, uh, you contrive it to that point that you have that protein powder that is both complete amino acids and leucine, which obviously is part of the amino acids, um, you could manage to make it this way, you'd have to be worried about your omega threes. So um you really only get that through fish and you get it from well no, you get it from meat too, but you get a lot from fish, certainly the the salmons and so on. Um if you don't do that, you're gonna be in trouble. So you have to contrive your diet. If you're willing to go to those protein powders, it's already contrived enough. Um but you have to put those together, and then at least you are on a moderately safe ground. you probably have to take a multi as well, unless you're really going to be, even if it's completely vegetarian, you know, your B12 and folic acid are going to be probably low. It just takes so much work to make get that. And when that goes low, that affects a lot of things. That affects nerves. It affects brain. So um, it's hard. Uh, yes, you can do it, but you're going to have to be the master of your own um, dietary ingredients completely whereas I I don't see that people on a protein sparing modified fast for instance really have to do that much thinking other than how am I going to cook it tonight (laughs) you know it's kind of like the dummy health plan if you will Um, but it works Okay, so I'll leave you with that thought I hope that stays deep in your mind and you'll consider it take care Hi this is Dr. Goldkamekin for a brief reminder of something I completely forget to do at the end of every episode. You've heard me talk long enough in many different episodes, but what I would love you to do, and many of you have already done this, I just want to reinforce this particular behavior, which is to send me your questions. Send me your questions and anything you have about keto. If there's something that I don't know, I will look it up. And if it's something that intrigues me, I will probably make an episode uh, a podcast about that particular topic. So, what you need to do is to send me your questions at Dr. Goldcamp at ketonatropath.com. So that's D R G O L D K A M P at K E T O N A T U R O P A T H dot com. Dr. Goldcamp at ketonatropath.com. Feel free to join our Facebook group, which is also ketonatropath.com. That's been growing lately. You also have to answer a questionnaire should you choose to join. And I don't ask for your email. I ask that you follow our terms. I try to avoid uh, advertising and uh, the obvious interruptions of just a good Facebook group. So hope to see you at one place or other. Please send me your questions and uh, look forward to talking to you and getting to know you. Take care.